My upbringing was about as traditional as an upbringing gets. My parents were married. I had a younger sister. We lived in a nice suburban neighborhood. I had friends at school, all the trappings of a normal, healthy childhood. But there was one thing. One rule. One rule that was reiterated daily to my sister and I since the day we were able to understand what it meant. One rule that I swore by. Don't look out the windows after dark. Our house was, as I said, in a suburban neighborhood. It sat at the side of a cul-de-sac, the entirety of which was bordered by a small woodland area that separated it from the next neighborhood. It was a perfectly safe area. There wasn't anything immediately apparent that we might see if we looked out the windows at night. I abided by the rule, as did my sister. We didn't know any better. We figured if our mom and dad insisted upon it, there must be a good reason for them doing so. I didn't know that it wasn't a rule all families recognized. Until third grade. We'd had a substitute teacher one day just before winter, and that substitute teacher had elected to play a movie, and that movie was the right stuff. This movie had so entranced a classmate of mine, Ben, that when he came to school the next day... He brought with him the assembly manual to the telescope he'd convinced his father to buy him the night before. Ben was ecstatic, bragging to all the other kids who had enjoyed the movie about how it was set up in his room and how he was going to look at the flag on the moon and other feats when it got dark out that night. I questioned, rather matter-of-factly, just how he planned on doing that, considering he couldn't look out his windows. And unsurprisingly, I was met with odd looks and a few awkward, confused laughs from kids who had no idea what I was talking about. Our parents had never told us exactly why we weren't supposed to look out the windows after dark. At the very least, they hadn't told us any real reason beyond just enough to get us to stop asking questions. Their favorite seemed to be, if you love your family, you won't look out the windows after dark. For a time, our windows had been boarded up, but neighbors had complained and the city had threatened to fine if they weren't taken down, so every night when the sun was setting, my parents would go around and use duct tape to make sure our blinds stayed shut, not wanting to be forever known as the weird neighbors. They would remove them and open the blinds every morning. When I got home from school the day that Ben had bragged about his telescope, I passed the question to my parents again. Why can't we look out our windows after dark? I got the same answer I always did, and something inside me, some odd mixture of curiosity, embarrassment at what had happened at school, and doubt, made their answer unacceptable for the first time. For the first time, I didn't just blindly believe what they'd been telling me my whole life. That night, some time after my mom had kissed me on my forehead and told me goodnight, and my dad had put duct tape along the bottom of the pull-down window shade, I sat up in bed. I felt like I was doing something wrong, but I didn't know why. As such, I peeked my head into the hallway, making sure there was no glow from the TV emanating from my parents' room. When all felt secure, I went to the window in my room, a single window that faced the backyard. I took some deep breaths, mentally preparing myself to see some unholy hellscape that somehow arrived at dusk and packed up and left by dawn. 
I went to the side of the window where I could just barely pull the shade back, and with one final deep breath and blurred images of unimaginable horrors racing through my mind, I shut one eye and looked through. I saw trees. I saw my backyard, and past it I saw the trees that made up a thicket of woods that surrounded all the homes of the cul-de-sac. In the sky there were a few stars, which up to that point I had only ever seen in videos. Or, if I happened to be outside after dark, for whatever reason being outside after dark wasn't forbidden. The rule was strictly limited to looking out the windows, though my parents did their damnedest to make sure we were in before the sunset every night. I saw the moon. I sat back for a moment thinking. There was nothing there, just the same things that were there during the day, only now at night. I was both disappointed and relieved, but more than anything I was confused. I looked back through the space between the shades and the window frame again, and that's when I saw it. Something dropped from a branch on one of the trees and hit the ground below it, lightning parallel to the ground. I squinted my one eye open to see what it was, but once it hit the ground, it didn't move anymore. I stared at that spot for what seemed like a long time, and just as I looked away, at that very same moment, whatever it was, sat up. When I looked back, I saw the silhouette of whatever it was just sitting straight up. Then it stood. Its legs wobbled like a baby deer as it started walking towards our house. Maybe it was the fact that I was a child, but I remembered it looked tall, upwards of seven feet. I watched the silhouette saunter towards our house and I distinctly remember my heart beating harder with every step it took. I watched its thin, spindly arms sway, and I remember its head looking all around from side to side, up and down, like it was observing the world for the first time. I wanted to look away, but I was terrified. The closer it got, the more sure-footed it became. Before long, it got close enough to trigger one of the motion sensors my dad kept back there, and the whole backyard was flooded with light. It wore no clothes. Its skin was an oily black, dark blue, and it looked like it was sweating profusely. I turned away, unsure of what to do. I was torn between this thing making its way towards our house and the prospect of telling my parents I'd broken their one rule. I sat in my bed, frozen. Tap, tap. My heart skipped a beat. My heart skipped a beat. I wasn't looking out the window anymore, but I could feel it just outside. Three more taps rang out. I closed my eyes, hoping against hope that it was all just a terrible nightmare. It knocked on my window harder. I don't know what compelled me, but I needed to look. I needed to see it. I peeked back through the space between the shade and the window frame. The overhang of the house was casting a shadow on it. But when I looked through the window, I was face to face with two eyes. They weren't eyes, not really. They were voids, holes completely absent of anything in them, that were somehow darker than the shadow. I jumped back from my window and fell to the floor in tears. I heard the crushing of leaves outside my window, crunching that moved towards my parents' room. I sat there in shock, in fear, in shame, and regret. 
as that thing went to my parents' window. It seemed like an eternity that I sat there waiting for something, anything, to happen. Then I heard my mom shriek. Her screams were accompanied by my dad yelling, No, 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 no. I listened as their footsteps thudded through their room and into the hallway. It sounded like thunder as they quickly made their way from their room to mine. My door flew open and my dad saw me on the ground crying. He reached down, yanked me up to my feet, grabbing me by my shoulders and shouting in my face, What did you do? Why did you do that? What the hell did you do? Between sobs, my mom put her hand on my dad's shoulder. My dad turned to her and she whispered, I don't want him to see. My dad took a deep breath and turned back to me. He looked me directly in my eyes and said, You need to stay here. I'm not kidding. Do not leave your room. I nodded in agreement. My dad lingered for a moment, and as he finally stood up, I heard him under his breath, God, no, please. They closed the door behind them, and I listened as they turned down the hallway from their room, towards my sister's. I listened as they woke her up and walked her out of her room, making their way through the living room and towards the front door of the house. Tap, tap, tap. My blood went cold, and despite knowing that doing so had grave consequences, I felt the need to look back out the window. I felt the need to at least try to understand what was happening. I peeked again and was met with that same visage, the empty eyes. But something was different this time. There was another void. Another part of it that was darker than the shadows that covered it. I'll never know for sure, but at the time I could tell that it was smiling. It wasn't some huge gaping maw, not some clown-like exaggerated smile, but like it was pleased. I remember I got scared all over again almost immediately and looked away. I heard my front door open. There was a lull. A moment of total silence that was soon broken by my mom's violent sobbing. I cried just as hard in my room. I heard the crunching of leaves again, this time farther away from my window, up the side of the house towards the front. I heard my dad's voice pleading, Please take me, take both of us, please, you, you can't do this, I'm sorry, please. I heard no response, just more leaves crunching this time simultaneously going both towards the front door and away from the house. I heard the front door close and footsteps coming back down the hallway. One set of footsteps continued walking to my parents' room while one stopped outside my door. You're not the first to do it. I heard my sullen dad's voice say from the other side of the room, When you have kids... I hope you make it more clear than we did that they can never, ever, ever look out the windows after dark. It's just something our family can't do. I love you. He walked back to his room and closed the door, and I heard him break down alongside my mother. I sat back up and peeked out the window one more time, the curiosity still eating away at me, only now mixed with an unprecedented fear, a feeling of hopelessness, regret. A bottomless despair. They disappeared into the shadows of the trees, and that was the last time I saw my sister.
It was the last time I looked out a window after dark. Last week I found out my wife is pregnant. I'm going to make it more clear than my parents did. I'm going to tell them exactly what will happen if they disobey that rule. Because them knowing the consequences of doing so is more important than keeping them from hearing something that might scare them. They won't look out the windows after dark. There have been reports of people going insane, tearing out their tongues and swallowing them, entire towns laughing deep into the night, and not stopping till the last one drops dead. Witnesses and reports say these people were smiling, a wide, stretching smile. It was discovered that it was caused by some virus that was found in the water supply. A cargo ship broke down in the wrong place and poisoned our city. I didn't find all of this out till later, till it was too late, till it started taking pieces of me away. It was my sister's birthday. She was wearing a glowing red dress and our aunts painted her face. She looked like a princess. She was in a wheelchair. An accident took her ability to walk a year ago. A drunk driver ran a red light as my sister was crossing the road. It left her paralyzed from the neck down. We went to a restaurant on her birthday, and all the waiters and waitresses were smiling. Big, bright smiles. It really dazzled the atmosphere, and my sister enjoyed it immensely. This is how you run a business. This is how you get customers. I won't lie, it got a little creepy when the waiters stared because they never stopped smiling. I didn't let it bother me. Today was my sister's day. The following days, I began to notice other people smiling, unusually broadly. My town wasn't a miserable town, but it definitely wasn't this, whatever this was. It quickly became unnerving. It soon became an epidemic of smiling people, and then they began acting strange. At night, I would hear inhuman screeching going on for hours. The police were called and it went away, but another would take its place. This went on for many nights. The police had to make rounds on the streets, but it didn't stop there. One by one, the reports of people losing their minds grew larger by the day, all of which had one thing in common, the fixated smile that seemed to be cut into their face. We stopped turning on the news because we knew what the stories were going to be about, the next more horrific than the last. We needed to stay positive for my sister's sake. Even that was getting difficult. Bodies... Uh, hundreds of bodies were found on the streets. Special cleanup crews were deployed to collect the bodies and dump them into a trash heap. Once the trash heap started to overflow, the authorities ordered to burn the bodies or throw them in the water to create more room. The air started to smell of burning pork and the clouds looked infected and sickly. Even the rain would taste like dishwater on good days. On bad days, it would taste like rotting carcasses. I suppose you could call this hell, but this isn't where hell began for me. Hell began when my sister started smiling. Hell began when my sister laughed through the night. Hell began when my sister stood up out of her wheelchair and started moving. Hell began when I realized there was nothing I could do but watch her as she descended into madness. 
Hell began when they collected my sister and burned her. Hell began when I could taste her in the rain. Lung cancer, stage three, inoperable. Those were the words that spelled out my ultimate fate, and while it wouldn't be a particularly original way to die, the irony wasn't lost on me. I'd never touched a cigarette during my short lifespan, despite growing up in a household where pretty much everyone inhaled those toxic fumes, including my own parents. Of course, they are both alive and healthy. Even to this day, they never suffered any consequences for any of their unhealthy habits. Not even a dent put in their lung capacity. Destiny truly is a fickle bitch. There I sat at the doctor's office, speechless, after hearing the diagnosis. I'd just gone in for a persistent cough from what I thought would be nothing more than a common cold. In all honesty, I didn't feel that sick but my wife had convinced me to go for a checkup regardless, and because of that checkup, I'd just been told that in less than a year, I would be dead. I've never been much of a religious person. If asked, I'd put myself somewhere on the agnostic spectrum of not knowing what the hell is going on. That being said, I didn't fear death. I had spent too many nights thinking about my eventual departure from this world and had accepted that life was a precious resource that would inevitably expire. I just didn't think it would be so soon. My one true quarrel with death was leaving my family behind. At the not-so-ripe age of 42, I still hadn't saved up enough money to keep us afloat in case of emergency, and while my wife still worked, neither of us made enough to support a child on our own, and it just so happened we had a ten-year-old son together. That's why I started praying, begging, bargaining for a second chance. Each night I tried a different god, desperately looking for otherworldly answers, regardless of religion or relevance in modern society. I was desperate. The doctors offered a combo treatment of radiation and chemotherapy. Of course, none would extend my life in any meaningful way, but I started the treatment nonetheless. Maybe that hoping that maybe someone could offer a miracle cure. But of course, my hopes were left unanswered. In the beginning of this year, my body had deteriorated to the point where I was nothing but a loose sack of skin draped over a malformed set of bones. I knew I only had a few weeks left before the cancer that had gestated within me, growing with each passing day, finally won the battle. When breathing became little more than an agonizing chore, serving only to initiate a cascade of painful coughs, I ended up bedridden next to an oxygen tank. Then, finally, on July 29, 2019, as I tried to get dressed and make the short journey from my bed to the little breakfast table down the hall in my hospital, everything suddenly disappeared beneath my feet. I started falling. One second I was traversing the hospital hallway, oxygen tank dragging on behind me, and with a final gasp of my pain was simply erased from existence. The memory of my disease was nothing more than a faint dream, and my life became a part of a very distant past.
I had died. I realized that much. But the concepts of life and death themselves meant little to me in the grand scheme of things. Yes, I had been a part of society on Earth, a note in the everlasting symphony of life. But my part had passed and the song continued on without me, while I moved on to the next stage. I floated, or sank. It was hard to tell directions apart in my new, weightless state. It almost seemed like an ocean. The deep blue hues surrounding me on all sides with bubbles of flickering light floating by, delightfully circling around me as I moved towards the brightest thing I'd ever seen. Though the light was blinding, I could sense other beings surrounding me. I'd turn to look at them, squinting my eyes to get a better grasp of what they were. They didn't resemble any creature ever walking upon Earth's surface, but I could tell that they had once been human just like myself. They were happy, smiling, without having faces, voicelessly laughing. I waved at them and they greeted me using nothing more than the warmth of their souls. I still had my body, not yet processed by the afterlife, but I felt healthy, no longer ravaged by the tumors within my chest. Once I got close enough to feel the heat of the light, my periphery darkened and the joyful creatures dancing around me had been replaced by shadows staring intently at my passing. The new creatures weren't people, but beings emitting the most dreadful sense of sadness and anger. They hated me for being able to touch the light, while they were forever trapped in the shadows. One of them reached out for me, its arms stretching impossibly far beyond its confinement. It grabbed onto my leg, pitch black nails digging deep into my flesh, tearing muscles from bone as I silently cried in agony. Before I could get a grasp of my situation, another pair of hands grabbed my arm, tearing it straight from its socket. A third pair wrapped around my chest, digging deep into my lungs, rummaging around where the tumors had once lived. More hands joined in, and before long, I was enveloped by hundreds of shadows all tearing away at my limbs and organs. But as all meat was stripped from my body, the hands had nothing more to hold on to, and I was let go. I was jolted awake, back in the hospital, gasping pathetically for air as the cancer once more inhabited most of my lung tissue. My family stood close by, sobbing at my demise. I really had died, but only for about a minute. Silence quickly filled the room as they noticed I was still alive, doctors wearing shocked expressions and horrified stares from my son. They were surprised, confused, as no attempt had been made to resuscitate me. My death had been expected for so long that keeping me alive would be nothing more than a cruel joke. Yet once again I lived. I had been so close to eternal salvation, but something had pulled me away denied my entrance to whatever lay beyond. Of course, with the cancer relentlessly spreading throughout my body, I wasn't meant to stay. Despite the bittersweet taste of my revival, the locals hailed it as a miracle, and multiple news stations wanted to share my story, profit from it. I promptly declined. I didn't want to tell anyone what I saw on the other side, and I was in too much pain to accept it as a miracle. As I stabilized, they moved me to a hospice care facility. 
Death was still lingering around the corner, but they said I might have a couple more weeks to spend with my family, if nothing more. They'd already said goodbye once, and now that cruel trick of nature made them do it twice. My wife didn't smile once in the following days. She wore a tired expression on her face. Her eyes were sunken, but I couldn't blame her. Taking care of a dying man is no easy task, much less for someone who has to do it twice. My son, on the other hand, would not stop crying. He was too young to understand, but he knew I wouldn't stay for much longer. Two weeks came and went in the blink of an eye, each day spent in misery, dreading what awaited on the other side. Then one morning I simply didn't wake up. Once again the world was done with me. I had been tossed away from existence and just like before, I started falling through time and space into an infinite void. The shapeless being still floated in the peripheries, lights that once wandered the earth, but this time there were no smiles to greet me, no joy filling my soul to the brim. They were angry at me. I had returned to a place I didn't belong, and now my journey was one no longer welcome. I was pushed further towards the light, away from the once blissful companions, and it wasn't long before I saw the shadows again. There the light lingered, just out of reach, so close I could almost touch it, when a pair of twisted hands grabbed at me, digging into my flesh. This time they didn't settle with violence. They started whispering, begging for me to pull them out of their prisons, to take them with me. Millions of voices rushed through my head, promising it was all a misunderstanding, that they had not meant to hurt me. They wanted nothing more than the warmth of the light. Yet, with their pleas for salvation, they tore into me, ripping me apart from within. I couldn't help them. I didn't know how, and with that their voices turned from prayers to anger. They shouted obscenities within my head, filling it with hatred while telling me what would happen to my family once I truly perished. In a split second, a vision of my family's future became burned into my memory, as if it had already happened. Depression would force my wife out of her job and into a battle with drug addiction which eventually melted over to our son as he grew up. Unable to escape, my son would get expelled from school after school, ruined by the death of his father and his absent-minded mother. At the age of 16, my son would get into drugs himself and ultimately die in a horrific car crash. That was the summary, cascade of events that followed my death, but the shadows didn't stop there. They promised a way out, that they could save me, and my family, if I only took them with me towards the light, but I could never reach the light. As desperately as I longed to just move on, I could never quite get there, always torn to shreds long before I touched it. Each brief visit to the promised afterlife left me nothing more than a barren fragment of thought, alone in a world that didn't belong to me. No matter what they did, nothing happened, and suddenly I was once again dragged away from the light, back to an excruciating life. Since my diagnosis, I've died a total of 16 times. 
Each time I am further ripped apart by the shadows. Each time rejected by the light and flung back to my cancer-riddled body. My family has grown tired of my presence. My once-loving wife loathes my very existence and my son is beyond traumatized. I can barely move, I can't feed myself, and I need help just getting from bed to the toilet. Because by now the cancer has spread everywhere. The doctors say I couldn't possibly be alive, yet here I am. It is even starting to eat away at my brain as well, taking away not only my physical body, but the memory of what I used to be along with it. I prayed, begged, and bargained for more time with my family, and I guess something answered. As a result, I was given infinite life, just not a functioning body to go with it. But infinite agony isn't what truly haunts me, nor the fact that I've been rejected by the afterlife itself, because soon I won't have a mind to worry with. What truly frightens me is that I now see the shadows while I'm awake. I hear their whispers at night as the pain medication slowly lulls me to sleep. They're thanking me, because in their whispers of lies and deceit, their false desires of entering the light, what they really wanted was our world, and by returning to life I've brought them here. They needed me to survive. They needed a vessel. To come here and extinguish the light we live in. To take away the small amount of happiness that still exists on Earth. They've already taken mine, infecting my family with their horrific purpose and desires. I thought my wife had simply suffered one too many days due to my illness. But it's the shadow within her that has turned her to the hateful creature she's become. She went from a loving spouse, taking care of me in my darkest days, to spewing vile hatred in my direction for each time I returned from death. She hated me, and she hated my son for being a part of me. Every day she would laugh at my agony, telling me that I hadn't done anything right. I couldn't even die properly. In between the barrages, she'd let slip who she had really become. She thanked me for releasing her from her dark abyss, smiling wide as she did. It wasn't her talking. It was the creature's. Of course, my son had been infected too. He quickly followed after my wife when he stopped speaking and eating, only rotting away in his room, neglected by his sick mother. Once he had become as emaciated and weak as myself, he finally spoke, telling me this would only be the beginning. Soon the rest would come through, another shadow for each trip I take to the beyond. I'm stuck in my broken body watching everything I love fade away. So I'm writing all of this down in an attempt at warning everyone of what exists beyond the boundaries of life. I need my last deed to be something remotely useful before my mind vanishes with the rest of my decaying body. Perhaps my only hope is to destroy my body, break down everything I am, so that no shadow can infest me. But I'm too weak, too frail even to leave my bed. Please don't let the darkness spread. I'm sorry for bringing it here. And my punishment is to stay alive and watch, half-witted and broken, when all I want is to simply leave this place.
I want to keep falling. Thank you for making it this far. I hope you enjoyed the video. I just wanted to quickly let you know about a couple things I have going on. I have an Instagram where I post more personal things about who I am. It isn't just all creepy stuff. You can find me at Stories After Midnight. I also have a Twitter where I mainly retweet and like things I find interesting. The handle for that is in the description, but it is S underscore A underscore Midnight. I should really find another one because that's hard to say. If you really like what I'm doing, consider joining the Midnighters. That's my growing community where we hang out and have fun and talk about cats. You can find a link to our Discord in the description below. We'd love to see you there. Other than that, it'd make me happier than a cat on a table full of antique glassware if you'd like the video and consider sticking around for more. We'll see you in the next one.